Hi, everyone. You're listening to Superwomen. Today's guest is Susan Feldman, the founder of In the Groove. Susan felt like there was a whole segment of women, namely women in the 40 to 50 to 60 plus category that are often forgot about, not talked about, and very much underserved and wanted to make a place where you could go, you could be seen and celebrated and just hang out and buy amazing things and feel like you're not left behind. So this is Susan Feldman on Superwomen. First of all, welcome. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here, Rebecca. It's so nice to see you. You brought some sun from California. I know. It's a gorgeous day here. (laughs) Still really fucking cold. Cold. Very cold. Like nice and sunny, but cold. So we first met when you were with One Kings Lane. You were a co-founder. Yep. I'd love to start earlier and hear a bit about, you know, how you got your start in a totally different industry, and then what made you do this leap of faith now two times? Yes, big leap of faith. (laughs) (laughs) There's a big ravine underneath that leap. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, so where should we start? Let's start from you were in sales. I was. So I actually went to business school after working for four years and trying to maybe switch my career. I've been in retail. My I come from a retail family. My dad was a retailer. It's kind of in my blood. I worked at Macy's High School, college, got out of college, went into a retail training program, went back to business school thinking, hey, maybe I should be an investment banker, but ended up at Macy's in New York. So I just like could not get that out of my system. But very soon after getting there, I went to what they call the other side, to your side, to the wholesale side. So actually working for manufacturers, selling to stores. And I did that really for the majority of my career, running sales and marketing organizations. And, you know, I love retail. I love working with the stores. Uh, Actually, there's something very entrepreneurial about it because you feel like in some way you own a piece of the business, helping them grow the business and make the business profitable. But I had gotten to a point where we were talking about this earlier that I just wasn't really having as much fun as I had had. And I was at a point in my life, my we had just moved to California from New York. So we had been there for a few years. I had this idea for One King's Lane in my head that I had been talking about for a year. And I had just got to a point where I had said to my husband, Like, I need to do something different. So it's either go look for another job, retire, (laughs) or do something like start this new company that I had a vision for. But it was scary to actually try to do that. You know, I just kept talking about it. So I give Bob a lot of credit for the beginning of One King's Lane because he's like, okay, so just go do it. You know, Uh, like, what's the worst that will happen? And And did you have the idea for what it became fully formed in your head when you were talking about it? Yeah, pretty much. Like I had a very clear vision uh, for what I wanted to create. And, you know, it was interesting because I just like needed somebody to sort of give me that push. And Bob was funny because he's like, either go do it or stop talking about it. Right, right. <laughs> uh, because I feel like I have a million ideas all the time. I'm sure you do as a creative person. And you sort of let them percolate and marinate and whatever. And then, you know, two weeks later, you're like, yeah, that wasn't such a good idea. I'm on to the next thing. But the one for one King's Lane, I could not shake. I was literally talking about it, thinking about it. I was obsessed with, at the time, it was flash sales that had just sort of come onto the retail scene. 
And I had, with a company that I had worked with prior to starting One King's Lane, I participated in one of these, you know, a flash sale events. And I saw how powerful they were and the velocity that you could sell products and, you know, the excitement that kind of came with it. And nobody was doing anything in the home space. The home space was kind of wide open, which sounds so crazy today because I feel like everybody's very home centric now. But back in 2007, it's actually the, you know, the retail and the e-commerce landscape for home was pretty barren to say. I mean, you find your big retailers online, but other than that, there really wasn't much there. And so, you know, when you said, okay, I'm going to start this, I'm going to do it. What were those next steps? And were you terrified? And I was scared to death. (laughs) (laughs) But I think, you know, it's kind of funny. I think when talking to Bob kind of put things in perspective because it was like, okay, like, let's just talk about this. Like, what's the worst thing that would happen? The worst thing that would happen was it wouldn't work. It would fail. You'd have to deal with failure. You know, when you go out and you build a site and you, did you have to raise money as well? Well, so no, because if you recall, this was back in November 2008 that we formed our LLC and the world was basically imploding. Falling apart, yes, yeah, I remember. Much. had fallen apart. And so we didn't even try to raise money. So basically it was like the worst that would happen is that we would not be successful and we would lose whatever money we had decided to invest in the company. Uh, so it would, you know, the worst that would happen would be a bad investment. Right. And it still was scary, but once I decided to do it, it's kind of of, you know, kind of amazing what happens. You just put blinders on and, you know, there's always naysayers and you bump up against that all the way along the way, but you just like keep pushing through it. You're like, okay, didn't, that didn't work. That person's not going to partner with me. I'll go find somebody else. Totally. And just make it, you just figure, figure it out. You just like, you don't even know. Like people, once One King's Land launched, it's so funny. People say, how'd you do that? I'm like, I don't know. It's a really good question. Like how we did, we just like literally we were like a force, you know, we literally formed our company in November, 2008 and one Kingsland launched the end of March, 2009. And that was it. We were off and running. And how did you convince people being that you were the first in to, to do this with you? Cause I know when you're, when, when we started see by where, or we, you know, try to change models, it's, very uh, hard. it's really hard and people don't believe you and they're unsure. And then you do it and everyone's like, oh yeah, we're going to get on that bandwagon. Right. It's, it's a little bit like that Nike uh, <laughs> video that's out now. Like yes. you're crazy, yes. you know, like yes. you, really, you think you're going to do this? Right. Like, you know, you've never been in home space before and you're going to do what? <laughs> uh, so I think, you know, having been around the block, so to speak, like I understood if I could get uh, enough people to fill our calendar for a month, it just meant basically 20 different vendors to do one event that if I could do that and we did a good job with those sales, then we would be fine because then they would tell their friends and other people in the industry and word would start to spread. And how did you even begin to acquire an audience? Well, so that was, so there were actually a couple of things we had to do. We had to build a website. We had to build a vendor base. We had to build an audience um, and we had to build the brand or that's actually in reverse order. So the brand was first. So we came up with the name, created One King's Lane. We decided that we wanted to 
launch with, because we were an email-based business, 5,000 people the day we launched. So we started a campaign, which is very hard to do to get people to sign up prior to launch because you're basically signing up for nothing. Right. And so we thought, what would this customer want that we could give them? So you could, if you signed up and gave us your email, you had the chance to win an Hermes throw. Ooh. Yeah. So that was, that was the hook. Okay. Um, and you know, there wasn't the social media platforms that we have today. So it was really word of mouth. Like, you know, you maybe would sign up and send it to your friends or maybe not because you wanted a chance to win the Hermes throw. But it was really funny. The day we launched, our uh, developer engineer called me at five of eight. Our email always went out at eight o'clock in the morning. So our first email was getting ready to go out. And he's like, this is really weird. And I'm like, what? He goes, you have exactly 5,000 people signed up right now. Not like for 4,927 or 5,103, you have 5,000 people, wow. which was our goal. And I said, send that email right now. It was like, it felt like it was a sign or something. That yeah. That was our goal. And we were right at our goal. And the email went out a little before eight. And uh, like I said, we were just off and running. You know, we did, I don't know, $1,600 the first day. The second day we did like $32,000. And by the fifth or sixth month, we were doing almost a million dollars in sales. Wow. Yeah. So it was like very hyper growth and it was really fun and crazy at the same time. And at the same time, we had to build a vendor base because we had to have product to sell. So we were out hustling, you know, for the five months that we were building the site, getting people lined up on the calendar. And, you know, to be honest, it sounds like it was all easy, but it wasn't. But the the recession actually worked in our favor. Because people and had a lot of excess they inventory. Had a lot, they never had excess inventory before, so they had no idea what to do with it. In the home space, it just was something. It wasn't an apparel. You tend to end up with excess or overcuts. It was not something that was really ever happened in homes. So people were kind of desperate because right. they had inventory, they didn't know what to do with it. And so they're like, you seem like you know what you're doing. We'll take a chance. Like what's, again, the worst Nothing that will lose. happen. Nothing to lose. And then not only was it great for them because they sold the product, but we did such an awesome job of presenting their brand, like a better job actually than they were doing, that they loved working with us because all of a sudden we elevated who they were. We talked about, you know, what was the inspiration, you know, behind the brand and nobody had ever done that for them before. Right. So it was like a win-win for everybody. And was that sort of naturally what you're really good at is that branding and storytelling? It, it was. And the other thing, which I think we did really well back then, which now is a very overused word, but nobody was really doing it at the time, was we really curated what we were doing. So people or vendors that we worked with would show up and they'd present to us, here's what I can give you to sell. And we would go through it and we would t like take things out of it because if we felt it actually didn't tell their brand story well or it diluted the presentation of what we were putting out to our customer base, we said, we, we can't sell that for you. And that was okay because we did a better job selling the stuff that was there. So they, they appreciated that in the end. Yeah. So during that high growth time, while that is obviously a really exciting time, what was some of the biggest challenges you faced during oh that time? <laughs> Where do you start? Where does one start at that time? Um, I think, you know, the biggest one is always people. 
uh, because if you're in a hyper growth mode, like you, you need people and almost like you're running so fast and the business is growing so fast. The only way to actually kind of keep up with it is almost to throw bodies at it. Um, and you know, you, you don't, it's just hard because you want to get the right people in there, the people that are really passionate about the vision, you know, what you're doing. And we were fortunate, I think, in the beginning because we really attracted people that were really obsessed with what we were doing. And so that was the first bar that people had to pass to even get into the company, you know, because everybody was so passionate about home who was working with us, which is great. But hiring is definitely, I think it, it, it doesn't matter how little or big you are. I feel like getting and building the right team is the hardest thing to do. It is the hardest. I always yeah. say people is the hardest because it's like and, putting a puzzle together, right? And you got to have good people. You do. You know, you just you have One to, bad egg, let me tell you. Yeah, it's had a bunch. Yeah. And it's like, it's woo, stinks fast, right? <laughs> <laughs> yes. It happens that to everybody. Yeah. <laughs> so during that time, were your kids older at that point? Yeah. So I was, it was actually kind of interesting because the, right as we were launching One King's Land, my youngest was a senior in high school. Okay. And literally as I was forming my LLC, she got accepted to college. Wow. So that was good. That was checked, done. Um, and she was pretty much footloose and fancy free. So she actually helped a lot in the beginning. My, she was the only, I have three kids and she was the only one that was home during the early days. And she had a great time. It was kind of fun. She became almost like my PA because I literally was like chained to my desk all day. So she would grocery shop. She would go to the dry cleaners. If I needed clothes, she would she go just buy. just good work ethic. Yeah. And, and she did photography for the site too, because she was a very good photographer and they had a great studio school. And she said to her teacher, my mom's starting this business. Could I bring some product in and photograph it? Because we were trying to figure out the creative and the photography thing early days. And actually her photography we used probably for two years on this site. It was funny. Silver picture frame she did. Nice. <laughs> so uh, you have a wild ride. It's, you know, you did it for what, almost 10 years, right? It was about, uh, seven. Seven years. And then what, at that point, what made you say, all right, time to do something new or time to go? I think, you know, the business uh, had such massive growth and it really needed certain resources to get to the next level, um, which was building stores, which now we have a new store in Soho, which is exciting, a store in the Hamptons, Um, you know, reaching the customer. The business evolved. I should start with that. So the business became moved from a flash sale site to really a legitimate retailer where you could go and find beautiful things every single day. So that was a very big change in the business. And, you know, it became really by 2000 and probably 15, we realized like it wasn't just about reaching the customer just through the internet. Like you had to be where they were. So that meant building stores, uh, you know, catalogs, things like that. And I think we were at a point where we just felt like we needed sort of somebody that had expertise in that. And uh, Bed Bath & Beyond came along and that seemed actually like it made a lot of sense. And so in June, 2016, we sold the business to them and it's been great. Like I said, they, you know, they've done that. They've sent out, I don't know, six, eight catalogs since they've been part of them. Um, open up stores, going to open up hopefully more stores. So I think, you know, the business has to keep changing, especially in today's world. Nothing stays the same, right? right? Like you have to keep iterating. I mean, you do such a great example of always being, I think, on the cutting edge. 
And I think that's what we needed to do. And I think we recognized that it was going to take a little bit more than what we had to get there. Right. So was it hard to sell off your... Oh, my God. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Talk to me about that. You know, it's interesting. I moved a lot as a kid growing up. So I sort of feel like I learned how to suck it up pretty well. But And so I feel like I did that, you know, when we sold the company, the people Bed Bath & Beyond were nothing but gracious and they wanted me to be around as a figurehead of the business. So, you know, I did everything I could for the transition. And I'm like, I've got this. This is like fine. And like, I think I realized that I so didn't have it and that, you know, the idea of like basically selling one of your children (laughs) was really hard. Uh, And I... I immediately had an idea for In the Groove, you know, the business that you were talking about, but I couldn't get it started. It was really interesting. I'm a very much a doer and I kept trying to get started. I couldn't get it. So I couldn't figure out what was wrong, like why I wasn't moving forward on it. I had a lot of meetings, nothing was happening. And then I realized, you know what, I needed a break. I needed to sort of really take heart of like what that journey had been, reset, clear my head, like sort of think about all the good, bad, and whatever that had happened over the course of the seven years um, and sort of put it in its place before I could actually move on and create something new. So how long was your break for? Uh, we'll see. So that we saw the company in June, 2016, and I launched, uh, in the groove in, uh, end of September, uh, last year. Okay. So 2008. So, so it's two almost years. two years. Yeah. It was two years. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was, it was interesting. I, d- I just didn't understand that I needed to do that. You know, right. I, I finally like went and talked to a therapist that helped. <laughs> was it weird for you to go from being very entrepreneurial, running a hectic business to then nothing? I was experiencing that over the last couple of years of the business. I mean, I was there, but the business had gotten so big that like I had been the chief merchant for the first five years of the business and it had gotten so big that it didn't make sense. I lived in LA and the whole merchandising team was in New York. So we promoted the person that was the, you know, my number one or the person that reported to me made her the chief merchant. So when we did that, I became less and less involved in the business. And it totally was a struggle. It was really hard. You know, it was hard to feel like I was sort of involved, but not involved. I wasn't the decision maker anymore. I was kind of on the sidelines, but I was, it was like, I felt a little bit in limbo to tell you the truth. It was, it was, it was challenging. And then I think actually selling the company was really the final. That was the, you know, closure of all that. But it was, it was hard. It was definitely hard. So you saw your therapist. What else did you do during <laughs> that time to like re- I, yeah, revive and that refresh? That was good. Talking to somebody objectively was, that was definitely helpful. Uh, I think, you know, I got healthy. So I really, I mean, I exercised actually I tried to make that part of my daily routine all through One King's Lane because I think when things are so hectic, having a workout routine makes sense. So I did that. Uh, I had more free time. So Bob and I traveled a little bit, which was good. And, you know, I just, I don't know, spent a lot of time running around doing things that had nothing to do with what I had been, you know, had a purpose probably. So you then decided, okay, I've had enough time off. Well, it it actually wasn't like that. So about the time that we started selling the company, I had the idea for 
get in the groove. Um, I just wasn't sure what to do about it. I wasn't sure if it was a big enough idea. And so I spent the next year kind of researching it and doing like what I did with One King's Land, like sitting with it. Did I still like it? Did it still feel like a big idea? So I did that. I did some focus groups around it. Uh, I talked to a lot of people. I did research on the demographics. So basically what had happened is about the time we were selling the company, a friend of mine that I went to Stanford with who was super successful posted a picture on Facebook with three girlfriends that said, uh, hashtag, they were celebrating somebody's 50th birthday, hashtag at 50, we're not invisible. And I think they thought it was funny. And I thought it was like, so not funny. I thought it was actually really sad. And I thought, why are they saying that? Like, I, w- I wasn't feeling that way, you know? And actually, I was 53 when I started One King's Lane. I never even thought about my age, actually, until our PR people would say, uh, Vanity Fair wants to do an article on you and Allie, and but the only way they'll do it is if you put your age in there. I'm like, sure, why not? Like, you know, who cares? So I didn't understand like where that was coming from. And I started talking to a lot of women and started to realize that, you know, around 50, women go through so much. Like we just don't even realize bits physically, you know, whether it's menopause, emotionally, maybe you become an empty nester professionally, things start to happen sometimes at work. A lot of times if you're empty nester, all of a sudden you're trying to reconnect with your spouse. So there are just like a million forces coming, you know, on and happening to women later in life. And I think it's a tough place to navigate. And I think some people get through it fine and other people don't. And I felt like there was an opportunity to do something around this because when I looked out into the internet, you know, digital space, I'm like, where do women my age go? Like, who's talking to us? AARP? I mean, (laughs) they have great content, but, you know, not a brand. My mother, who's 90, loves it. You know, it's it's fantastic. It wasn't like speaking to me. Nobody was talking to me in what I thought was like a cool, modern way. And by the way, if you talk to women in this demographic, nobody feels their age anyway, but they don't want to be looking at content and hearing things that have pictures of 22-year-old girls in it. Totally. But there was nothing out there, you know? And so I was like, oh my gosh, like this is a huge opportunity. I could do something in this space. Like I can curate all the information's out there for sure, but I can actually go out there and create a platform and curate merchandise, product, information, story, and bring it to this demographic in a way that is easily digestible. It's like sound bites is the way we take in information today and hopefully provide them with information that keeps them in the groove. You Love know, it. because what I started to learn in talking to women is so crazy. People said this all the time. I feel invisible. I'm like, how could you feel invisible? You're like the CEO of a major corporation. I know, but I feel invisible. Like nobody, you know, I want- Where do you think they're feeling invisible? I think like socially, they probably at one point, 10 years prior would walk into a room, people maybe turned around and now they walk into a room or a store. I mean, I see this all the time. I walk into like a boutique and there's a 23-year-old salesperson that they let, like, like ignore you. I don't know why. But you have more wherewithal than- Well, not only that, but if they had a brain in their head, they would know we also spend 250% right. times more than anybody else and have more wealth than anybody. Right. But they don't. So 
we're trying to change some of that too and make people understand that because we are today healthier, wealthier, more engaged generation than any uh, generation in history, you know, of this demographic. So it's different. And I think it's time that with everything else that's going on, we change that conversation around aging. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. So what would you say to someone like me who's deep in the beginning of this journey with mm. three kids yeah. and mayhem and I already am scared about my children leaving the nest? Yeah. What would you what would you say? I know it's different with each generation. Right. I mean, you know, I think you give your kids the uh the tools, right? To go out and lead and live a very successful life. You give them all those. Those are like gifts that you give to them. And in return, they come back. Right. <laughs> they will. They will. I promise you they'll come back. I mean, a perfect example, my daughter who's graduating from business school, she's in Los Angeles. Like she actually asked me, she's like, hey, mom, will you drive cross country with me this summer? You know, so they do, they do come back. But I think you have to let them fly, right? You know, but you give them the tools so that they can do that well. Yeah. I, I joke that I already hate whoever my son's going to marry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably how my mother-in-law feels about me. No, I'm sure not. Um, so what have what has been the exciting part of launching something new and what has been the terrible part? Yeah. Uh, so different than you know, launching One King's Lane. I'm doing this solo. So that's been really different. Whereas I had a partner with One King's Lane, Allie Pincus. It's been a lot harder to do because I think I know too much. Uh, So, you know, the two years that it took me to do this, obviously part of that was, you know, sort of coming to terms with the whole One King's Lane journey, but it was also me second guessing myself all the time and having conversations like, should I do this? Well, no, I don't know if I should do this because if I do this now, I know this happens. Whereas before, like when we did One King's Land, we were just moving and shaking. Nothing stopped us because we didn't know any better. We were almost like, you know, dumb is not the right word, but, you know, we had a vision and we understood who we, what we were doing and we didn't know a lot else. And we just kind of went for it. Now I've been through this, you know, whole journey of one King's land. And so I, I find myself second guessing myself a lot. Yeah. And sometimes I just have to say, okay, I'm going for it. Like I need to put it out there. So it took me way longer than I wanted it to, to actually get this done and put it out there. So that's been really different and hard. And I think just being 
solos is a really different experience. Like I miss having somebody to bounce ideas off of and, you know, have those conversations when you're like having, talking to yourself all the time about, is this a good idea? I don't know if this is a good idea. <laughs> yes. Uh, so that, that I miss, I do miss that. And that's been, I think, challenging. And so tell me about if you go to getinthegroove.com, what's there? There's so much there. So it's really a folk. We really focus uh, a lot on fashion and beauty and wellness. And then, you know, we have other things like there's a lot of really great uh, first person stories, accounts, people that have, I think, really amazing sense of humor that tell stories, you know, about things that are like bringing up kids. And this is kind of silly, but uh, somebody wrote, this is funny. She said, I realized like, it's been so long since I've actually been able to walk around naked because like, you know, I have boys and kids and whatever. And I went on a writing retreat and it was in a hotel room by myself. Anyway, she goes on to tell this very funny story about it happened. So, you know, it's really a range of different things. You'll find stories about acronyms. What the hell do these things mean? So you can text with your kids, you know, uh, we have some recipes on there, but the the majority of it is really about like what we're seeing in sort of the fashion and beauty space and what we like, what we're using. We have a whole section called Groove Approve, which are products that we've tried that we love. Uh, so hopefully if you buy them, you'll like them as much as we do. We, it's hard for us. We're a small, scrappy team. I wish we could test everything. We can't. Yeah. But the ones that we do that we like, we put in there. Uh, we have a menopause registry, uh, which are the things that we think will be helpful for you when you're going through menopause, which are beautiful uh, cotton pajamas to uh, vibrators. <laughs> we have vibrators to um, skin creams, all different kinds of things. So awesome. we we try to take a an approach that keeps things kind of with a good sense of humor, little irreverent. Uh, but provides a lot of information for the person that's coming to the site. Awesome. And you don't want to go to inthegroove.com. No, don't go to inthegroove. That's not safe for work. Yeah. Well, you might want to go there, but uh, (laughs) go to getinthegroove.com. Unless you're looking for some vibrators and sex toys, then you would want to go to (laughs) inthegroove.com. We have them on our site though too. So you can just come to getinthegroove.com. Perfect. Yeah. One-stop shop. Exactly. No need to go there. So one one of the things I like to ask all my guests, or two things I should say, is something we'd be surprised to know about you. Uh, you mean maybe like something that I did or did or a habit oh, or okay. or so, yeah. Uh, I love Howard Stern. Okay, I'm listening to Howard Stern for way too long. Okay, uh, kind of. It's actually been sort of interesting to listen to him as long as I have because he's definitely evolved. So it's sort of been fun. Uh, but that's sort of like, I guess my, I don't know. It's, I think he's great. He's a really good interviewer and I enjoy listening to him. Yeah. Uh, there are times that I didn't, I turned it turned off. Turned them off. Yeah. Uh, so that would be good. Uh, maybe another one. Oh, this is kind of a fun one. Uh, when I was 16, I worked on uh, the Crow Agency on a rodeo. Whoa. Yeah. So you worked in a rodeo. Yeah. It was uh, on an Indian reservation in Montana. They have a big rodeo every summer. And I worked on that. I love that. Yeah. What was your job? 
lots of different things. I did tickets. We also worked in the arena. So we were like pulling and pushing down like, you know, gates and ropes and all kinds of stuff like that. Did you ever almost get run over or you were good? I didn't get run over, but I definitely like embraced the experience to the point that when I came home, my family was living in California. At the time I got off the plane wearing a cowboy shirt, braids, cowboy hat, and I had a toothpick in my Classy. Yeah, very. My mother was like, what? <laughs> but that was fun. Awesome. Yeah. My last and final question is what would be just a great piece of advice you'd love to leave our listeners with, being that, you know, you've had several careers and mm-hmm. seen big, low, high, you know, highs and lows of everything? Yeah. I think, um, I mean, there's a couple of things that I always talk about, but I think one of them is to one, I always say, keep things simple. I think it's even more important today. And I'm feeling it more and more maybe because I'm getting older, but I just feel like less is more. It's like, I feel like it's sort of our hashtag for, you know, in the groove. And I think, you know, just staying focused on what it is that you really love and what you want to do and what you're good at, you know, like, I think that was one of the lessons I actually learned with In the Groove originally started out, it was going to be like kind of more of a content site and it's very quickly, you know, morphed into its its content, but we have a lot of shopping on the site. And that makes a lot of sense for me because that's what I do. I'm a merchant. That's what I'm good at. Uh, and I think I fought it for a little bit in the beginning, but then when I embraced it, it was like way better that I did that. So like, you know, I think what you love, you hear people say, but also like, you know, do an assessment and inventory and be honest with yourself about what you're really good at doing as well. Totally. Yeah. I had to do that recently. Yeah. I was like, I'm actually really good at PR, so I should do more of that. Exactly. But sometimes it's hard to have those conversations because you're on a path and you're like, how do I get off this path to do something else? Correct. I feel like I went through that with just getting this started, which is probably one of the reasons that it took a little bit of time to get it started too. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Susan, thank you so much. Thanks for having me, Rebecca. That was Susan Feldman. To find out more about what she's building, you can follow her at In The Groove. 